Welcome to Podcast 1999, the podcast about Space 1999, recorded in the year 2023. I'm probably 2024. Are you? Wait, no one's hearing this in 2024. Someone's still listening. No, we're erasing the tapes just like BBC. Okay. (laughs) Erasing the tapes. Um, Yeah, someone's probably listening to this in 2073 and I'm dead. So, you know, enjoy that. Uh, I'm your host, Mark Malik. Hi, I'm Matt Comages. Uh, we have a guest today. Um, one of the weird conceits of this podcast is that, you know, I've watched a lot of this before, but I'm not, I've, I'm not like an expert on it. Uh, I just drug Mark into it because he likes pretty this kind much, of thing. I'm pretty much watching it the first time. Yeah. I'll just call it that. So uh, our guests tend to be very well informed on this show. Today is from Mission Log, the guy that uh, keeps... Uh, techs all the tech for the mission log podcast various mission log podcasts it's earl green hello hello everybody and uh Thanks. yeah i know you're a sci-fi guy so <laughs> well you did the sci-fi five didn't you <laughs> another one yeah, that people we, should listen uh, to. we touched on space 1999 a couple of times not as many times as i would have liked because there is there is so much weirdness behind the scenes you know such as its origins as Season two of Jerry Anderson's UFO that never got made. Yeah, that uh, dissolved multiple. Oh, no, one dissolving marriage. Uh, Landau and Bain made it to the 90s, didn't they? <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is where the uh, the Anderson team up sort of splits apart. So uh, season two has no Sylvia anymore, I suppose. But she's yes, still around yeah. for this, I guess. Um, they They basically broke up at the rap party for season one. Okay, so she was properly on this one. Okay awkward yeah <laughs> that's that's what happens right <laughs> it's like marriage uh, marriages have trouble surviving things like christmas and birthdays and seasons of tv shows see we just don't really celebrate birthdays and christmas at my house much <laughs> it's probably a good call actually yeah, yeah just go out to dinner that's about it you know so i'm in my 40s and i don't want to think about it anymore and i have Friends who are slightly younger than me who are still doing it, and I'm just like, okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. Today's episode is Earthbound. Um, we, we're talking about, this is, I think, number five on my disc set, which is production order, I believe, which is what we're going by. Well, what am I doing? You do trivia, so I guess you're going to knock yeah. this all yeah. out. I'll knock something out. Uh, here's some trivia. This is the fifth episode produced for the series and the second of 14 directed by Charles Crichton or Crichton, whatever you'd like, however you'd like to pronounce it. Flip it was board. written, it was written by the Andersons along with Anthony Turpeloff. He was an American writer who wrote for both American and British TV, including episodes of judge for the defense and the Alfred Hitchcock hour. He died in the UK in 1978. But before that, he'll be back to write three more episodes in season one and one in season two. Uh, we have Roy Dotrice back for his second and final appearance on the show as Commander Simmons. You may remember him from the pilot Breakaway. He was a British actor with a long and storied career. You can catch him in Cheech and Chong's The Corsican Brothers. He played Mozart's dad in Amadeus. He was in both Tales from the Crypt and Tales from the Dark Side, Earth 2 and Babylon 5, and his final role was as the character of Halony in Game of Thrones before he passed away in 2017. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. I don't know how to pronounce things. Um, the bigger get for this episode is obviously Christopher Lee, a.k.a. Sir Christopher Frank Card- Carandini Lee as Xantor. For 70 years, he dominated cinema and television with his imposing presence after serving in the Royal Military in World War II and almost certainly killing people in the process. Uh, he played Rasputin, Dracula, Scaramanga, Count Dooku, and Soramon. He starred in films like Theater of Death, The Torture Chamber of Dr. Sadism, Curse 3, Blood Sacrifice, Psycho Circus, The Skull, and Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. 
But most importantly, he played Lord Summerisle in one of my favorite movies, 1973's The Wicker Man, the real one, not the one with the bees. Uh, Lee was not impressed by the script, but he agreed to do the episode because his 12-year-old daughter was a fan of Jerry Anderson's previous marionette shows. Uh, Anderson asked Lee to ring Peter Cushing to ask him if he would do an episode of the series, and Cushing agreed, so look forward to that, too. You left out the most important trivia on Lee. I said he killed a guy. No, it's his the, the metal albums he recorded when he was oh, 90. He did that. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if that was as awesome as listing out all those movies that had cool titles, but you know, yes, it was awesome. He started with a, a single that was Christmas songs and then did a full record after that. Uh, it was very heavy. I'm waiting for you to say trivia over. I need trivia to over. Out. Okay. Synopsis start. Hmm. Except I got to stretch my screen or I'll miss half of my uh, synopsis there. Here we go. Commissioner Gerald Simmons of the World Space Commission remains on moon base Alpha, having been visited when the moon blasted out of orbit. Without an actual purpose, he's feeling like a 312th wheel and believes Con Commander Koenig can get them back to Earth if he'd only command harder. Meanwhile, a strange blue spacecraft comes into range and lands on the moon's surface. Koenig and Dr. Russell lead a mission to explore the craft. They find six psychedelic space gypsies in suspended animation and accidentally incinerate one of them before the alien computer simply revives the other five. It's an awkward moment, but fortunately, Xantor, the leader and captain of the alien expedition, lets bygones be bygones. They are Kaldorians, refugees of their dying homeworld and hoping to reestablish to establish themselves on Earth. The moon was meant to be a way station before their final descent, but with the moon now out in deep space, that plan did not really work out. But those Kaldorians are chill. They can re-enter suspended animation and make it to Earth in a quick 75 years. And hey, they now have a spare seat for a human. Dr. Russell checks out the tech. It's not quite compatible with humans, but if the system matrix, excuse me, if the system matrix maps a specific person, it should work. Commissioner Simmons pulls weight as he is absolutely set on going, but Commander Koenig prefers that the computer decides who will go. Simmons is unwilling to wait, however. He'd prefer that they kneecap the Caldonians and, six, and send six humans, but if it's got to be one, he's determined to be that one. He removes the station's power cell, effectively holding everyone hostage. Koenig and Xantor decide to give in to his demands, and Simmons takes Xantor as a literal hostage in order to safely make it to the Caldonian ship. The ship takes off, and its complement enters suspended animation. Simmons last. Simmons awakens and excitedly opens up comms with Earth. But it's only two hours later, not 75 years, and Moonbase Alpha is surprised to hear back from him so soon. It turns out that in his rush to be the guy, he never had his personal matrix mapped by the computer, and he will spend the rest of his now short life trapped in a plexiglass coffin. He's already out of Moonbase Alpha's range for a recovery. Oh, and the computer did finally make its choice for the trip. That would have been Commissioner Simmons. All right. It's that was a, that was a bit of a mouthful, I guess. Pretty funny that he was in Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side, and the ending of this basically is a Tales from the Crypt ending. Or yeah. Tales from the Dark Side is a I, yeah, horror anthology ending. Yeah, because it's like, oh, it's a, uh, it, I mean, it is a kind of a Twilight Zone ending, but yeah, it has that special, like, 80s disdain added to it, I think. <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was so weirdly. I don't know. Koenig was being so weirdly nice. He was like, come back here so we can do the lottery. <laughs> Even after he's like shooting people and taking hostages, he's like, no, no, come back here. And if you win the lottery, you can still go. It's like, I, if I was captain of that ship, I'd be like, kill him. Airlock. <laughs> yeah. Out the airlock. Xantor, <laughs> make his head explode. Uh, Xantor can do that. Earl, when people request episodes or movies, I always have, have to ask them, why did you request the specific one so uh what's what's the special sauce in this one for you this one actually is it's one of my favorites but it's not my 
like absolute top favorite, but I do a retro TV podcast that also bumps into space 1999 from time to time. And I had actually done my number one pick sometime back. And so I thought, okay, let's do something else. But also I had recently listened to the big finish productions audio adaptation of this episode. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go back and rewatch this and compare and contrast because they they changed a lot about it, even though it kind of still has the same basic contour. The, the story more or less follows the same lines, but ends up in a place that you weren't quite expecting if you were thinking they were going to carbon copy the TV episode. And, you know, as far as Simmons goes, you just you have to love the cosmic comeuppance here. It's epic. <laughs> yeah, I was literally getting angry because it seemed like he was going to get away with it. And then it was like, oh, no. Oh, he got he got come up so good in this, <laughs> this classic. But also that speaks to how good Dotrice was at playing him. It's almost like I kind of wish he was on the show more than two episodes. But, well. He would have been the ball tar, of the uh, Dr. you know, Smith. this is one of, well, this is one of those where if the show had run longer, he probably would have shown back have been like, I've transcended human form and I'm still a jerk. Was that last yeah. episode? <laughs> well, the interesting thing is you say this is the fifth one produced. Yeah. I remember it was produced fairly early on, mm -hmm. but in air order, at least in the UK, it was something like 14 episodes out from the pilot. Yeah, we haven't gone super deep into the uh, airing order versus we're sort of doing this based on Matt's DVDs. Is that right, Matt? That's correct. Like, the uh, 17 DVD mega set. Okay, this does a show up on YouTube as like episode something, 14, 12, something like that. But, yeah, uh, and it, it's just like who, who remembered Simmons was even there after, you know, a dozen shows had passed. He, he really <laughs> did need to be in it more. Yeah, but I, way, I guess he was busy. The way the Mark actor. and I are watching it, it kind of works out um, because uh, just to confuse <laughs> the audience more, this is the third episode we're recording just because of schedules, logistics, blah, blah, blah. But having a one episode absence of him and then him showing up in the third one we are watching, I think it works pretty well. Like, I mean, it's it's that's not a real order to watch it in, but it works. But fifth yeah, is still acceptable, but yeah, like 12th or 14th would be kind of crazy. Yeah, because, I, you know, when he first shows up, you know, staring out the window, looking bored with the staff meeting, it's like, oh, are you still here? Well, the, the, the way this show, the tone of it makes it a little bit difficult to, like, feel out the characters. Because, you know, Star Trek, various Star Trek series always do a pretty good job of, of like, highlighting characters' personalities. That's the board. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't really seen Enterprise, but for, for the ones I have seen, they do a pretty good job with that. And this is much more of a, like, workplace. People show up and give necessary information. And sort of a lot of the personality of this series is in, like, the, uh, the, the look of it and the, uh, I don't know. And, and the fact that this is obviously, every time I am caught thinking about it, this is obvious that this is, a live action show made by people who've only made puppet series because it's, it kind of is like that is, you know, the, the ships, the ship just comes in on a string and it's like, cool. That's totally well, fine. They'd, they'd gotten rid of the fishnet uniforms by, by this point that mm -hmm. you see on UFO. So at, le yeah, at least we got that. Pretty good choice. But it's like, it is kind of the way, like we're not, um, the, the, uh, I don't know how to say it. Like the, the acting, isn't necessarily intended to carry a lot of the show, even though these are good actors, but it's like this, it, they're not like uh, put front and center, except for, you know, Simmons in the glass cage at the end. What I see in season one, and I, I think the, the big charm of it for me is, um, again, Star Trek at its best is going to get into action adventure and making rash decisions, um, even when you have Vulcans around. Whereas Space 1999 just doubled down and like lives out on the okay we are going to do scientific process um you know we're going to be logical we're not going to panic 
-hmm. which is what we see here. The guy that gets illogical and panics is the guy that suffers a you know horrible fate. Yeah, even um, well, you know, there are a couple of impulse control issues here, sort of like in the previous episodes we watched. They remind me of Prometheus, where they're just like, okay, well, he's dead, so open the case. <laughs> and then the guy just vaporizes. And I was like, maybe, you know, not the best decision, even though Xantor is obviously super cool and just totally understands. But, um, yeah, it it definitely seems like that 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 itself is like, yeah, don't don't uh, breach scientific method because then you're going to end up with a ash pile. Who knew that randomly drilling into the alien apparatus <laughs> unknown function might cause it to critically malfunction? Who had any idea? There should have been a warning sticker. You know, no one was wearing helmets. Part of the ship in your mouth. <laughs> Nobody's wearing helmets. And then the gas comes out and I was like, oh boy, you guys are dead. And then it didn't happen. But you know, uh, I I appreciate that kind of thing. Like they've definitely been punished for not doing science correctly. <laughs> this show. Well, that guy in the case was punished for them not doing science correctly, but they're still well, doing it professionally. It's not like someone's like, we have to do this now. Do it. We, we got to find out. They're, they're just calmly doing it. Right. So, um, I mean, they're literally going to Earth. And if Earth doesn't want them, they're going to kill themselves. Oh, oh the Caldonians. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Did I, mean, I say their name, right? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't actually put that in my notes. <laughs> my, my bad. Um, yes, that's right. So I was just thinking a new Caldonian, like, am I getting that right? Okay. Caldonians. <laughs> yeah, because um, that's, that's with the K in this episode, whereas the country is with the C. But um, yeah, mm. that made me second guess myself when I said it. Did you guys, and, and um, girl, maybe you've seen this one a few times, but uh, I guess it's especially for Mark, just were you expecting the tables to turn and for the, the Caldonians to be like energy vampires in great part because Christopher Lee's their leader? I thought it was possible, but specifically Simmons says not to trust them. And we're obviously meant not to trust Simmons, which that was that was definitely definitely not supposed to trust him. So that was actually kind of a nice touch. If they'd have also been distrustworthy or Simmons, it, I, I didn't want Simmons to be right about them. So, and uh, no, yeah, I didn't so, really think yeah. they were gonna be. Um, I thought maybe I thought there was a possibility that Xantor was gonna try to take Dr. Russell, which I was, I knew wasn't gonna work. It's like I also came into this knowing which actor is not going to be on the series again. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, is, there's uh, that. This is the problem with our modern eye, which is that we can see all the information kind of, even if we don't look at spoilers, we can see information like that. We know Dr. Russell's back. We know that Simmons is not. So I, I do want to just, uh, well, first, uh, or I know you've seen this one a few times, but uh, did you ever have that thought that, things are going to get real sinister with the aliens or, or is that not the tone of the show? It's well, it's off. It is often the tone of the show, you know, because if you've watched, okay, you say this is the third one you've recorded. So you're, you know, you're going in a different order, but you know, you get stuff like alpha child. It's like, okay, whoever the guest star is, they're sinister, you know, whichever one uh, Lovejoy shows up in. Okay. He's something's wrong with him. And, you know, they've cast Christopher Lee, and so there is kind of that expectation. But he underplays the whole episode to such a, you know, to such a degree for what you expect from Christopher Lee. Uh, you know, although Christopher Lee doesn't, you know, he doesn't really have to chew a lot of scenery. He just has to, you know, sit there and sound sepulchral, and that's going to be sinister enough. But he's just, he's just very calm. He's cool with it. You know, oops, you know, you you killed, you know, one of his crew. Oops. Well, we know you didn't mean to do that. This stuff happens. I, I think, you know, evolved races um, out, out in the cosmos would understand that if you have a group of people going into suspended animation, one of them is not coming out. <laughs> This, <laughs> yeah, I think we've gone over this on other shows, even. Um, oh, the Rip Emily paper on Twilight Zone, right? With yeah, the glass, someone, 
someone isn't going to survive the uh what do you call it cryostasis no matter what but uh, uh the still space seed yeah and this is you know a pet peeve that i don't really i i hate it when um tv or film portrays some kind of advanced race as some kind of dumb idiot uh, thor <clears throat> but you know it's um the, i think this is a uh sufficient portrayal of somebody who is advanced they don't they don't talk too much about it which is probably good because writers can't don't brag well you know don't brag also um tv writers are not like on the forefront of science and people who are on the forefront of science get predictions wrong from like five years in the future that's one thing that is constant is you want to laugh go back to 2013 and read predictions about what 10 years from now are, are like it's i guarantee you it's hilarious it's always going to be hilarious maybe uh someone can make an ai that does it better but we're bad at it <laughs> i mean that's the whole ai thing right now just uh extrapolating the future but they're still going to get it I'm wrong saying, there's just too many well, variables we get, yeah we get we've gotten what ai is like wrong <laughs> it's like you just uh humans are bad at predicting that what more advanced things are like and maybe it's something to do with us being apex predators so it's like part of our identity as apex predators is we have to not be able to visualize things that are much more advanced than we are because then we'll collapse no, I've been... uh, i think it's something about not understanding death as part of that too i think if people really understood the uh like philosophical implications of death then they would just come to a total halt not be able to do their hunting and gathering like they're supposed to do yeah, I've been moving my way through the Apes movies again. And, uh, you know, Escape really hits home where in the boxing scene where Cornelius is just like, these guys, even when things are going well, are just beating the tar out of each other, you know? So, <laughs> like, the Apes are like, they can't imagine you'd want to have a sport like that. Just talking about the, uh, I guess, your Apex Predator idea there. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing, is that part of why apes movies are usually good is because the writers just have this job where they have to make something that's not quite not quite a human but close um, the the other thing with christopher lee just going back to him we were talking a little off mic before we got into the episode about how this seems to be in a little period of his career where he went understated um is Earl, you saying this was actually filmed about the same time as the wicker man even though it came out two years later so yeah, the uh, the first season was filmed starting in 1973, and so this would have been around about the time Wicker Man came out. So nice. I wonder if he's just trying to reinvent himself a little bit at this point in time, before you know doubling down later in his career as uh, one of cinema's ultimate villains, right? So yeah, he fought Yoda. Yeah, this is his, his, his tiny little breakout as a uh, benevolent. In, you know psychedelic disco alien so i think that reading about how he just did it because his daughter liked <laughs> the uh, thunderbirds or whatever is pretty much that probably says a lot he was probably just like okay well you mentioned earlier where the uh the alien cases did not have anything saying do not open there was no sign but the moonbase mm -hmm. alpha has plenty of signs that say that and uh Commissioner Simmons opens all of them. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's flashing like, danger signs. I mean, he's like, turn on that siren, turn that, <laughs> turn that flashing red thing on. The aliens, uh, on the other hand, they live in this service merchandise alien showroom of the future. You know, pick out your alien. We'll have them waiting <laughs> for you. At the I said it looked like the the redemption section of an arcade. It looks like where you go win all the tickets. Um, I love the way it looked. I thought it looked amazing. Once again, I'm just continuously blown away by how cool everything looks in the show. This is me reading in way too much, but uh, this is the shot where they go back into the ship when uh, Dr. Russell has put herself under. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way the door opens, just because you were talking about showroom of the future, and I put it in my notes that the, the door opens in a triangle and then there's kind of a ball in the back and it really made me think of like the 1939 world's fair centerpiece with the uh they had that uh you know pyramid obelisk and a giant ball and i, I kind of wondered if that because there's so much tech that the the alphans don't understand in there just made me think of the world's fair vibe and almost if that was kind of like a 
subconscious or intentional, you know, bit of vid- visual vocabulary there. I had to look it up, but it looks pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Koenig's uh, chair in his office. Uh, Koenig's office chair. I mean, that is definitely a mid-century modern piece. And, and I would say that a lot of the Moonbase Alpha architecture, you know, where it's like architecturally, not talking about like the desks or anything, but every, the walls, there are no sharp edges. There are no corners. It's all rounded. It, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's very, it's kind of like, you know, we're going to mid-century modern ourselves to pieces here. Um, you know, it, at least as much as we can afford to, you know, once it gets to the desks, well, it's obvious that these are like, you know, adding machines with lights added to them. Yeah, an Eames chair is going to cost you a pretty penny for sure. <laughs> Maybe not in 1975. Where are we? Four? 74? Three for production, five for air. Yeah, we were just trying to confuse you in oh, so many ways. It depends. But I'm like, it. it is very reminiscent of the the way the space shuttle looks and i'm sort of looking at where that was when that was unveiled and that says late 60s so okay, yeah that's... space shuttle was uh given the go-ahead by the nixon administration if that gives you mm-hmm. an idea yeah it's like we you know obviously moonraker just it's just like here's eight space shuttles but this is more of a inspired by that than than just a straight rip of it and i do appreciate that i love the uh the like stark white curviness of everything uh, and colorful rainbow utensil uh, utensils utilities <laughs> things like that um little colorful balls everywhere there is one bit of weird philosophy in here that i wonder if it's a bit anachronistic um captain zantor is talking about how they can't they have to basically stop time in their suspended animation they can't they can't freeze themselves right because you lose the, the flavor of life, the, the bit of the spirit by doing that. And I was thinking well, 1973, uh, I, I was just listening to George Carlin talking about frozen peas and how much they suck in like 1973 on his uh, Toledo window box album. Uh, but I was yeah, thinking now we like, live in a capitalist hellscape where I can't afford fresh peas. But go okay. ahead. <laughs> I was just thinking uh, is frozen food. I mean, sometimes frozen food can actually be pretty good now. Well, all you have to do is add things to it when you cook it. I think George Carlin was just like, I just boiled these frozen peas and I just ate them and they sucked. You know, it's like you have to do something with them. (laughs) Maybe that was, maybe that's also an indictment of just what uh, culture was like at the time. It's like, what? I I just heat these up and they're not good? Like, what the hell? I I guess just now the idea of freezing stuff seems more reasonable than maybe it did in 1973. Well, you say maybe white people in the interim have learned how to put spices in the things when they cook them. Just put some MSG use on broth. Everything. Yeah, MSG, <laughs> sprinkle. Use broth. Yeah, I have MSG. I have some. Yeah. Don't 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 test my MSG. Invented in Japan. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Tomorigato. I mean, frozen pizza technology after the pizza wars of the '80s, you know, stepped up yeah. a lot, right? You can. They're you can better get a, now. Yeah. A 1973 frozen pizza would be inedible. So Captain Zantor's, um, Zantor's, uh, his his explanation makes sense because of that. But if he were to get like a nice modern frozen pizza, you know, maybe he'd change well, his mind about uh, cryogenics. This is the other thing. When I cook a frozen pizza, I put some fresh cheese on it. I put some oregano on it. I put some garlic salt on it. I put a little bit of garlic butter on it. I bet nobody in the seventies did that. They were just like, "Oh, it's the the oven's done, honey." We well, can't put a garlic butter uh, on Christopher yeah. Lee. But this is the thing: when he started talking about that, my assumption was like, "Oh, is that why he's so like weirdly robotic?" Is because the freezing process made him like lose some of his emotions, which that would have been a pretty interesting angle. But like imagine imagine that if it was like okay simmons you can go to earth but you're going to be like this because you have to freeze yourself but what if zantor stuck around for like three or four additional days on alpha and you know by that time he's like the crazy world of arthur brown and they can't wait to get rid of him (laughs) he's like oh oh man yeah you're like let us thought out let us i'm glad i thought out (laughs) you just start screaming stuff from the wicker man the crops yeah. will not fail. <laughs> Virgin. 
<laughs> now, there's uh, something he says later whenever they have the whole scare where they don't think they're going to be able to revive Helena, and then they revive her. And then he says something just really weird. It's like, you know, your your computer did not understand the human spirit. It's like, that's yeah. not what computers are for, <laughs> but thanks. It, it was, and that's yeah, there's... Just, that's kind of emblematic of one of my least favorite things about space 1999. So much has been invested into making a science fiction show, science fiction that seems to be ready to ditch science at the earliest opportunity. So it can start doing hand wavy metaphysical crap. So they can just, you know, make up what happens instead of trying to, you know, stick to what is possible, which, you know, I understand with sci-fi, you're going to do that. But this show really seems to go for metaphysics really quick, you know, earliest opportunity. Yeah, I the, personally uh, kind of like that, but I'm weird. <laughs> the second episode we've done was already um, Matter of Life and Death, which is basically 2001, you know, sort of. And and yeah, I was like, this is dumb. It was fun, but it was like pretty dumb immediately. Like, oh, I'm I was on Jupiter and I turned into a thing. I turned into a different being and uh, now I'm here and I made parrots all die. And, you know, it's just, uh, that's fine. I mean, I can, I can say something's dumb and still think it's fun. Like there was a little bit of passive aggressive back and forth of like the computer doesn't understand how the human spirit isn't that great. But also my computer didn't under, no, it's like his computer didn't understand the human spirit not being that great. And then their computer didn't understand how much she could take. And it was sort of like a bunch of computer blaming for things that were vague. Hand -wavy. I, guess, I guess the, the, the dangerous bridge of all of this is if you do decide you're going to try and explain a little better, you end up with midi chlorians, you know, as, as the star Wars approach gave us. Yeah. So, and you shouldn't, you know, there was no reason for that I whatsoever. Mean, we all That's knew why it's infuriating. Yeah, we, we all knew the force was the music anyway right it didn't add anything you know what i mean it's like it didn't that never added anything to anything maybe it did to some tv show that i didn't watch but uh no i didn't see anybody free base midi-chlorians and turn into a powerful warlord and die because that would be pretty cool but no You've never added midi-chlorians to your frozen pizza i would okay just check i would I'd, I'd sprinkle that right after i sprinkle msg on it <laughs> msg midichlorians feast for a king yeah msg stands for midichlorian square gardens um how many space hippies can we compare this to uh we've got star trek's uh this way of to oh, Eden, yeah. right? those guys yeah. reach of course so we got uh -huh. them I, I i think these guys reach in this episode too i mean they didn't say it but no sure do I, we have any I've... other notable space hippies we need to bring up nothing really comes to mind although now that you say it it would have been hilarious if like you know carter was standing back in the hallway just going oh god these guys <laughs> went past oh man i imagine these guys smell a it's... little better though they look more like you know like they do like the stevie nicks uh scarves and and, and perfume sort of thing right this is the thing if this was a star trek episode there would be something like Oh, but we're um we're all married except for every three hundred years we kill our wives. Or okay, maybe that's a dark version of it, but I feel like there would there would be some kind of like social twist which which there kind of isn't here. Like the only real like societal twist is they're gonna go to Earth and if Earth won't take them, they'll kill themselves, which is really weird. But I mean it's it's uh all of us are going to be on alpha for a week then we must stop wearing pants <laughs> that is our way yeah it might have not exactly. been in the first place didn't they have like kind of long flowing robes they, they could have been going commando for all we know we, we are <laughs> trying to make it to woodstock 99 <laughs> but yeah no they they just missed it didn't they wouldn't that have been well August if their ship was faster but oh, then that's okay. the thing is they're supposed to they were supposed to get to the moon but the moon was in the wrong place, right? Oh, so you just proved they were trying to make it a Woodstock 99, which was a mistake, exactly. it turned out. In the end. Wasn't that the Woodstock? No, no, it would faster? have been cool. They would have just been like, this planet is beyond saving. Mm. And they're the, right. Okay. I, I don't know. To me, it, it seemed like like a reverse Heaven's Gate. 
person like what they wanted to happen not not what happened (laughs) i mean what they wanted to happen i mean that's just they were just throwing a few things in there to make they were trying to make it not super attractive to uh take the ship to earth which i appreciate because a show like this like and we've seen it a bunch of times like quantum leap uh land of the lost gilligan's island where it's like you're constantly gonna get teased with there this is the the problem that's going to be solved well they're finally they're going to make it home it's oh this will be the time uh, Voyager's sort of like that but at least voyager doesn't harp on it too much but you know there's always has to be some kind of little tease where it's like maybe this will be the way they get back home and i appreciate that the koenig keeps just being like no we're not doing that we're not going back to earth it's not happening because uh that, well, th- there's that, that just... scene where they ask several people, like, if given the choice, if the computer chooses you, do, are you into that? And mo- people are like, I don't think so. Yeah, because a lot of them want to, like, go colonize somewhere new because that actually sounds pretty cool if you're the, a certain type of person. And yeah, they are. They already have friends on Moonbase Alpha, right? Uh, if they mm-hmm. go back to Earth, they yeah, literally will not. They'll be just a weird, you know, like relic. You know, well, Scotty yeah, 75 style. years. That's that's tough. Especially because they don't know if Earth is still there. Yeah, they, yeah, they, their exhaust might have blown it up real good. We don't know. And the last thing we saw was a news report where it's like, uh, oh, the moon being gone causes a lot of problems, which is, of course, scientifically Reasonable. accurate. <laughs> it's scientifically accurate. So that's, that was a nice touch because surely something has been produced where the moon goes away and nothing happens. I mean, whatever the tick moon goes away or no wait it wasn't the tick no dragon ball z i'm sorry the tick there's just a part of chair face chippendale's name is in in the moon but uh dragon ball z they just blow up the moon nothing happens uh i guess the last observation i want to bring up a little bit is what i think we're going to increasingly call the barry morse problem where he's like of the leads he's the most charismatic but he really has little to nothing to do in most of these episodes like Dr. Mm-hmm. Russell can basically cover like that whole field of action. <laughs> yes, and she also gets to make eyes at her husband too. They have great, chem- fantastic chemistry because they've been married for 10 years. Yeah. Um, I-, I guess I'll throw it your way, Earl, about uh, wh- how do you see Barry Morse's uh, slot in this series? I love Barry Morse. And I do I- too. That's why I'm like, tell you why. He's the most realistic science officer ever in sci-fi TV because, you know, as you're going to find out as you go through this series, you know, they're going to ask him for some instant analysis. And his answer is always, well, John, I don't know. And I think that's a lot more likely to happen than, you know, someone pushes some buttons on a touchscreen and, oh, you know, we've completely scanned the interior superstructure of their ship. And here's where the problem is. No, you're going to have some guy with or without epic sideburns just sitting there going, I don't know. And so I, uh, on on the one hand, it's kind of tiring hearing him say that. (laughs) But on the other hand, it's, it's terribly realistic that you're going to have a scientist who's like, you know, I have no idea. You know, we just ran into these people. This ship just showed up. I haven't got the foggiest as to what is going to happen with this thing that looks like a tub toy that's descending toward us. Yeah, and that's that's, it's it's so far with what we've watched. It's just such a kind of weird dynamic because actors great, characters great, but they seem to real maybe because of that they just have trouble knowing what to do with them. And I mean, one of the reasons I haven't seen season two so much is because I like him. I don't want to see the episodes he's not in. Right, I want to see ones he's in. But, yeah, I was bummed finding out he wasn't going to be back for season two. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, well, there's not much to do with him because he doesn't know. <laughs> and they're always running into new situations. There is an episode coming down the pike that delves a lot more deeply into his relationship with Koenig. And so you have that to look forward to. And that's that's really kind of the source of a lot of the backstory for those of us who really like the character of Victor Bergman. But it's a lot of it is confined to one episode, and you just kind of extrapolate out to the rest of the series from there. You know, it's kind of like, you know, where did Tasha Yar have the most lines? The episode where they killed her. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think I think he even gets the indign- indignity of uh, basically being um, possibly canon off-screen killed between seasons. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, there's there's always a little little flub there, but but again, I I can't. I always have trouble recalling the name Victor Bergman too. I just keep calling him Barry Morris, right? So there's that. I don't have trouble talking about Koenig or um, Dr. Russell or, or it, Carter, you know? <laughs> it took me a minute because, like I said, it was a little bit difficult to parse out the characters. And he was just like the guy who kept showing up, the likable science guy who kept showing up until I kept seeing his name enough to remember what the character's name is. There's not a whole lot of people intently at Globe in opening credits. Yeah. Well, there's not a whole lot of characters calling each other by their names in this either. It's just like um not not a lot, but you know. It's a uh astronaut level uh workplace, like you well, said. It's British television, so they assume that we're smarter than we probably are. <laughs> which I appreciate. Um I, I've gotten through all of my random observations. If, if uh, either of you guys have something you'd like to throw out on this episode. Um, uh, it's RIP Simmons. I hope that I hope they don't have trouble explaining why there is a corpse on their ship when they get to earth in 75 years, a human corpse. Yeah. A human, they're, they're... A human corpse that I'm sure they could figure out who it was. I, they well, might have a some... question. Do you think, uh, you know, as much as the elimination of their crew member that opened up that slot on their ship was a, you know, oh, whoops, did we do that? Uh, do you think that Xantor intentionally, you know, oh, whoops, did I forget to feed your matrix into the computer? It's almost I, like he, he knows Earth will be better off without seeing this guy intact again. I want to believe that, but I also appreciate that it was left pretty ambiguous. I I like I I did see that idea. I liked it, but I more like the idea that um Simmons himself forgot he needed to do that. <laughs> like I like he was in such a rush because the computer was going to choose him. They were going to be able to do this like with a checklist and do it properly, and he would have more more most much more likely survived, right? I like to think that his uh you know his his full headedness got him got him killed, but I also do a Twilight Zone podcast, right? So it's like you you want the yeah. guy's flaw to be his his downfall sometimes, and, and not somebody's you know um, revenge trip or something. I sort of wanted revenge, but you know this this is the argument you can make that Koenig is the advanced is the advanced. This is an advanced civilization from this from the perspective of the seventies. I wanted to believe that. You know, Koenig was obviously, even if Simmons was like surrendered and came back on the ship, he would have, I think Koenig would have just been like, sure, come back. And then if he won the lottery, if he didn't, things would just go back to normal because he would just be like, well, I, I understand you went crazy and shot people, but also you could argue that the most advanced thing is to just say, I'll be your hostage and just conveniently forget to scan him into the computer. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> He did because stun them with an awesome stun gun, so it was that might be the most advanced thing because this guy basically spared Earth from having Simmons and Moonbase Alpha. Yeah, everybody without, wins without except for Simmons. He didn't do anything, really. He just it's like yeah, it's like karma. I don't really believe in karma, but that's probably I mean <laughs> you if that just say karma. I mean if that thing's airtight, he's gonna be dead in ten minutes, so <laughs> He doesn't have Despite to wait that all long. of his rage, he is still just a rat in a cage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He'll probably eat his own arm or something. Well, I guess that brings me to asking how much of this episode is existential dread and how much of it is sci-fi fun. I guess I'll throw that to our guest first. Uh, Earl, you can go percentages if, or, or just a general feeling if you want. You know, after having seen it a few times, I'm... I'm really in favor of fun. However, however, we were talking uh, off mic earlier about uh, other early 70s sci-fi kind of having this same heaviness to it, you know, like uh, Moonbase 3 on the BBC. Over in North America, we had the Star Lost around the same time. You know, two shows that are just, they are so weighed down in existential dread. And 
here's the thing. I kind of like that about the first season of Space 1999. That there's this heaviness to. I mean, sometimes just the music they open up with with the first shot is just like, oh God, you know, it, it's it's despair already, and we just started. But it's a lot of the show is about overcoming that. And, you know, overcoming whatever challenges kind of bring that heaviness to it, which, you know, sort of reminds me, Simmons planned, you know, what's he going to do, turn the moon around? So we're going to go back the way we came and run into all the people we've pissed off already. That's a great plan, Simmons. But the the thing about it is, for for the most part, it's just kind of a sense of, discovery and weirdness and so i've really got to land on i would say 60 percent fun 40 percent existential dread i i'm gonna go 90 10 because <laughs> the fun is everything oh the the alien spaceship looks cool but you know that simmons is gonna do something you know that the going back to Earth is a bad proposition. You know that Xantor is not in. You can't guarantee these trustworthy. You see someone die in the first two minutes. <laughs> you know that they were killed by the incompetence of the crew or the sorry the ignorance. There it was decided to be ignorance. Um, but I I love dread, so this made me really happy. For me, dread is fun. Okay. <laughs> I was uh my my I'm going to 80 20 split. Um okay. 80 on the fun. Uh this one oh. well it's it's one guy basically screwing himself, isn't it? I mean, it's it's like Simmons is completely responsible for his own fate in like aggressive ways, oh. right? So he does almost kill everyone at some point. The or aliens, he's able to kill everyone. Yeah. The aliens seem pretty nice. Uh, of course, um, the captain may may have kind of like, oops, murdered him. That's possible. Um, but I, I feel like what is dread in other episodes is kind of just scientific coldness. And in, in this one, they they apply the scientific method incorrectly a few times, but that happens. That's how <laughs> the scientific method works. It's, it's the, you you make your hypothesis, you test it. If it doesn't work, hopefully you did not just incinerate someone or put yourself in a coma as they did in this episode. But yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. We didn't even really talk about how uh, Dr. Russell comes out of that almost coma and she looks like she might have brain damage after they say that she might have brain damage that was also really uh, stressful yeah yeah she's it's... like i'm fine oh good because you didn't look like it okay no but i mean that's she got a halo of gold that was cool nice Part of the dread fun yes yeah, it was really yeah. cool looking but yeah i didn't find as much dread in this as like i said more like you know um psychedelic not psychedelic scientific coldness there, there is plenty of psychedelic in this episode too of course but it's it's not the dreadful kind just the colorful you know uh steven tyler's microphone sort of thing right <laughs> wait what he's got all the scarves and stuff on his microphone yeah i, I, I went with steven tyler i thought it was a more sinister reference but oh no no i'm literally talking about his microphone at aerosmith shows which looks ridiculous okay, <laughs> okay. well that's not gonna last Looks like these guys' spacecraft. So, okay. <laughs> these guys have more Look. plastic, glowing plastic. That's cool. So, it was I support what? glowing plastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun how it sort of just sort of spun around, but then landed at, you know, oh, on yeah, that one landing. They were like, it crashed. Totally <laughs> it was just sort of like, it just sort of spun out and then landed. Um, yeah, it was at an insane angle. I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> Marionettes, baby. Super I like the, uh, the, mm -hmm. the very early 70s shiny metallic Easter eggs they hand to everyone. And you know, <laughs> yeah. this is part of our funeral rites. And it's like, before that conversation is even over, Simmons is over there just like, you know, tossing it back and forth <laughs> like a baseball. It's like, dude, this is their sacred object. They are still in the room with you. It's just great. Yeah, he is such a great, like, evil jerk bastard. I, I loved it. Yeah, I I don't know. Would it have? How many episodes would have gotten annoying? Would would he? Would oh, he have I been mean, able to be a Doctor Smith or a? You can't or, or like Baltar. 
Dr. Smith couldn't be Dr. Smith for more than one season. You know, they turned him into something else. They turned him into like robot comic relief. And they turned Baltar into Jesus. That was pretty cool. I don't know what that is. Unbattle Star, the newer one. He yeah, I didn't eventually really... becomes a messianic figure, which is kind of fun. <laughs> okay, I didn't really see enough of that. Um, okay, that's that's on the list of things to watch yes, before I die. Sure. Now, the mm-hmm. interesting thing about you know, I brought up uh, the Big Finish audio retelling of Space 1999, which I think is on now its third its third box set, and there's three episodes per box set. They do feature Simmons more often they do have now they the one that they released about six months ago i think um had earthbound in it Hmm. but they have a lot more scaffolding leading up to that so you know you're ready for simmons to get it in the neck for one thing but for the other thing they also make him not quite as arch as he is in this episode now, he is chafing against how Koenig is running the station, but he occasionally sometimes makes the right calls for the wrong reasons or vice versa. And so it's kind of like, okay, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole. I and appreciate so there's, it. There, there's a lot more there's a lot more buildup by the time you get to Earthbound. However, uh, without spoiling anything, I should say that their version of Earthbound does not have quite the same ending. Hmm. But one thing that they did note in the, because they do bonus features in like the runout time of the CD. So a CD is like 74 minutes. So if their episode is 62 minutes, well, you know, you have 12 minutes to talk about the making of. And, you know, they do mention that the reason that they use Simmons a lot more is because he is a natural source of conflict. And where you have conflict, you have drama. Yep. And uh, yeah, a lot of this first season conflict is just with the weirdness itself. You know, you don't don't get your mustache twirl. I mean, this guy, uh, he did he twirl his mustache? I don't remember. (laughs) He sort of had the goatee. I don't think he really did, but he was doing a lot of, you know, tossing eggs in the air and and i did really appreciate when he just says i'm a politician i've been a politician my whole life i don't believe in i don't believe in luck or something like that and then as soon as Kenny walks out of the room he just steals his his thing and runs he's just like telling him right away he's like i'm going to fix this in my favor <laughs> because that's what i'm gonna do um there, there's another line that Simmons rattles off that I wrote down in my notes. He said, I got to be commissioner by doing what's necessary, not what's right. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. Isn't the job description to stand at the intersection of both of those things as often as possible? You, you know, it's like, you know, I've, I, I'm a career asshole. Yeah, he's straight up Trump. They just <laughs> predicted Trump with this. It's interesting that you mention that because the big finish version of Earthbound it is a two-parter, so it's two hours. But part of the expansion of that is that they're kind of doing Brexit in January 6th in the same story. Okay. Um, Simmons calls for a vote of no confidence in Koenig's leadership. And then, you know, we're going to hold a vote. And Koenig is like, you know, okay, we'll do it your way. But then Simmons is all insinuating, oh, well, you know, they're not going to do it our way unless we make them do it. And then he stands back while various crew members act on that in their own way, you know, while he's sitting there wringing his hands, claiming he had no idea that this kind of talk would lead to any sort of violence. I mean, it's very, yeah. it's surprisingly topical for a remake of something from 1975. We could, we could only hope that the people, <laughs> that, that the future of our species is this version where everybody's sort of like, I don't know. And the one asshole just kills himself by <laughs> trapping himself in a glass case. All right. uh, it's like the yeah, it's like mutiny is a common thing and on the high seas. Probably would be in space too. Well, yeah, this image just isn't as sharp, is he? He's impatient and petulant, basically. Yeah. He's not he's not a uh, master manipulator, yeah. as it seems like the radio version is. So Yeah, he was just telling Kenny, like, hey. You should be a leader and fix this so I win. That's basically what he was saying. Or maybe kill all the kill all of the 
Caledonians and put six of us on there, which I'm sure that he was fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that would have worked. But. Well, they pretty much instantly shot that idea down. And I, I guess he could have gone about trying to kill them, but that would have been really. I mean, it's not like anything he did was very smart. So I guess he could have done that too. <laughs> I thought that was probably what was going to happen was he was going to try to kill them and then they were going to kill him. But yeah, close enough. Um, I guess we'll wrap this one up for now, unless someone has a, a major thing. I already asked that once, but I guess I'll ask it again because we got into five minutes or something. So someone did. <laughs> mm. I wish more of the show had been like this episode. I, uh, I'm not saying I want, you know, nonstop Twilight Zone twists on everything. I because, after, you know, after you do that so many times, it's like, okay, you guys are just in the <laughs> Twilight Zone in space. Well, but... yeah, Game of Thrones taught us we can't keep twisting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. It's just, I wish there had been more, you know, more like this where there's, you know, you have clear lines where you, your characters are in conflict with each other. And it's not just all of them pinned back against the wall, like the universe is trying to kill us collectively. Yeah, I I love the cherry on top where Simmons gets picked at the end. They didn't have to do that. It was great. A great, oh, fantastic ending for sure. Um, I was uh, I thought it was going to be evil triumphs, just to get him off the just to get him off the ship. It's like, well, yeah. Well, uh, Earl, this is this is I guess early October when people are actually hearing you. But uh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what you're? generally up to i suppose with your podcast and your your work well um as you mentioned i edit and do tech production on mission log mission log live basically anything over at roddenberry that starts with mission log i'm not on the shows but i'm putting them together um i'm the fifth beetle uh, i'm gonna leave it to other people to decide whether or not i'm actually george martin um hmm. on the sci-fi five podcast which i miss terribly and, you know, hopefully in some alternate universe, by the time people hear this, maybe it'll be back. Maybe it'll make a comeback, a miraculous return somehow. But I was a writer, editor, and a frequent voice on Roddenberry's Sci-Fi 5 podcast, which was five minutes of sci-fi history every weekday. And I miss it terribly. Now, from my own home base at thelogbook.com, I do a few podcasts, but the one that most people listening to this will be interested in is called Retrogram which picks an interesting week between 1970 and 1995, rewatches all of the genre shows from that week. So your sci-fi, fantasy, horror, superhero, spy-fi stuff gives them a fresh watch, a fresh reassessment as to what has held up and what hasn't. And you know, generally speaking, I do have a genuine huge amount of affection for this era of TV. Um, Nobody sets out to make a show that sucks. People do misjudge their limitations and their expectations and perhaps misjudge how much of an audience there is for what they're doing all the time. But, you know, we all do that, whether it's a TV show or a stage play or a movie or a podcast. You know, it's it is what makes art a uniquely human thing. And so I, uh, you know, I admire anyone who's ever just set out to put on a show. And so I try to celebrate that. But she was a little singing, a little dancing. And sometimes it's great. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't know if the Brady Bunch Variety Hour comes in your purview, but hey, <laughs> I'll watch that all day and it's terrible. <laughs> it, it doesn't, but someday I am going to cover Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Nice. Oh, I've yeah. I've never seen it, but I should. <laughs> I need you to absolutely that. should. <laughs> um, I... Hi, Mark. I loved this episode. You could find me in Halloween Town because it's Halloween month. Right. As for this podcast, Podcast 1999 is part of a bunch of podcasts. You can support us through a buck on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius, uh, where we you'll get these early. Uh, we are recording this in June, and there's already going to be these three episodes there if you want to time travel back and well, hear them then or now uh films and filth assistant kind of podcasting we talk about the 100 best and the 100 worst films as race rated on imdb uh, i think we're somewhere around 2001 right now on that podcast uh mark is is there for that uh time enough podcast does the twilight zone um 
One of the reasons we like this is because we like the Twilight Zone around here, and you can listen to that too. Ah, okay. Yep. I I guess I'll I could keep video. Okay, I gotta say the video games tonight. Luke loves Pokemon. Game, Pokemon. game show. Game game show for gamers, gaming games. Hyrule Field Report for Zelda. Sorry, just spitting that out because my plug's getting way too long. Okay. Well, we make too many podcasts. Yep. And when I say hey. we, I mean you. You make too many podcasts. <laughs> I don't make the video game ones. And Luke, both of you make too many <laughs> yes. podcasts. Yes, okay. Anyway, <laughs> be careful while you sleep tonight. Don't fall asleep in a glass case inside a spaceship. That's the message of this of this episode. <laughs> I love that. He just took a little nap. It's like, oh, I feel much better. <laughs> That's hey, all he needed. Who are you guys? That's that could have been two It's hours. only an hour and a half later. <laughs> uh, I'm I, I was like, oh, I forgot to mention in the podcast. I was like, I kind of wanted them to just pretend that they were Earth. <laughs> yeah, we're it's Earth. We'll see you in a little bit. <laughs> Is not what the show is like at all. Uh, Jada changing his voice a little bit. Hello, this is Commander Koenig. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is Commander. Respond to him at all. I don't even know how to take that. I mean, you know, someone should have, you know, Sandra or someone should have said, you know, oh, he's getting outside of our signal range. We can't respond. But instead, they're just all like, oh, well, that sucks for him. Don't answer that call. <laughs> yeah, they're they're the uh, the the evolved space people where they're like, man, uh, yeah, that's that's rough. We were gonna just give him a chance to we're come back and airlock really quickly. <laughs> yeah, my thought, my first thought. I guess I'm just a petty bastard. I was like, yeah, I'd be like, yes, it's it's your your grandson, uh, Ralph Simmons. <laughs> Please come. Yes, just get ready to come to Earth. You're almost here. Just a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, not this show. Maybe, maybe like the... your call is very important to us, but all of our <laughs> Earth people are busy. Yeah, maybe the Orville would do that or something. <laughs> no, it's press not. two for Espanol. Yeah, your your call will be answered in approximately seventy five minutes. Years, years. No, no. I mean, he'd die in seventy five <laughs> minutes. You know, give give him the amount of time that he would die, and then just like pretend he's on hold all the time. I mean, assuming that's a sealed environment, it's just thrashing around and they're used up a hell of a lot of his oxygen. He's gone in five. 